important uh, thing to keep in mind as we start the kinnis is the main point of the kinnis obviously is not to uh, daven up the words it's to focus on them and understand what you're reading and uh, try to feel the availus to the best extent that we can um, as just a, uh, a brief overview one there's so many so many things that are discussed in the kinnis goes to all of history and so many different angles on Averis and our punishment. There's a famous Pesach in Devarim where Moshe Rabbeinu, as he's doing Chazara in the Averis of Chai Yisrael, as he recounts the Misa of the Meraglim and the reaction when the Meraglim came back, so the Pesach says, Heragnu ba'alecha v'taymru v'sinus Hashem ha'asana ho'tiyanu me'eret Yisrayim l'oseis ha'asana b'yad ha'meri l'ashmidenu. One of the most unusual reactions you can have from Klai Yisrael. And the Maglam gave the report that they're giants there, they're too strong, and we're not going to make it, and we can't fight them, and it's not going to work. And the reaction wasn't only that we believed them, and therefore were scared. That would have been a little more understandable. Although wrong. They said far worse. Moshe ben said, Teragnu Balercham, you were mumbling and grumbling in your tents. But Taimur and Yuseh, but Sinas Hashem Asanu, because Hashem hates us. Hashem hates us, and that's why He took us out of Mitzrayim, and He brought us to the Midbar to have us killed. Which, say what you want about a Kodesh Baruch Hu, that you don't have Itach, and you don't have Amunah, you think we're not strong enough, Hashem's not going to do an ace. Say whatever level career you want, but don't say that He hates us. That doesn't make any sense. Well, Hashem is out to get us an important question because uh, if you read the Kinnis today as you all are about to do you can get the misimpression that Hashem hates us and he's out to get us if Hashem hated us and he was out to get us he wouldn't still be here uh, Hashem has many ways of getting rid of people and uh, we wouldn't be here we wouldn't be thriving again after a Chorban and another Chorban and then another resurgence Hashem wouldn't have us keep coming back so if you look here to understand, what is the, we're talking about the third day over here. What were they thinking when they said Hashem hates us? Why would Hashem want to punish us? To say, we're not, we're not strong enough. Say, we don't be talking. Say, we're scared. Say, we're falling short. Why Hashem hates us? So you look at one line of Rashi and one line of Sephurna. And this gives us the whole secret to uh, what the problem was. Rashi says, B'sinus Hashem Asanu. Hashem really loves you. You don't feel as Ava, you think that when you get punished, so the punishment is one of hatred, and therefore in return, you reciprocate and you hate the Kaddish Baruch Hu. And it's a tall order, but Moshe Rabbeinu was telling them that uh, if there's an Isaiah ahead, in this case, conquering a Tishral, a daunting task, or in the case of Tishabov, what happened to the end, the terrible, horrible Enshim, it's not because Hashem hates you. Because Hashem has Ava, and you need the Kapara, and you need the Nisayim. And Sephardi says even more, really a whole different angle that uh, Sephardi always uh, says very few words, but uh, lights up the Sugya. But Sinus Hashem Asanu, why would they think Hashem hates them? Almasha Vadna Badazar bin Mitraim. The reason Hashem hates us is because we deserve it. Because for hundreds of years we did have Badazar and Mitraim. And we never got punished. 
but they're sort of waiting for the other shoe to fall. And they're waiting and waiting and waiting. They leave Mitzrayim and there's uh, Nisim and the Flores and Kriyat Yamsuf and Kabbalah Satera. And they're waiting and waiting. They can't understand. We don't deserve this. And they're waiting and waiting. Finally, the Bible come back and they say, we have some bad news. We're all going to get killed. And they said, aha! That makes sense. Because we're bad people. So, if this happened, this wasn't even Einish yet. They were just scared that Einish was coming. So, Kavachaymer, when you read the Kinnis, you can get, again, the uh, mixed impression. I'm going to say total misimpression, but the mixed impression that you look at all the punishments starting from the Chorban and the second Chorban and the, uh, and the Inquisition and the Crusades and all the, all the Kinnis uh, just get a bird's eye view of, of the history of the Gullahs. So you get misimpression number one that Hashem hates us. That's not true. This is for our own good, as hard as it is to handle. And mixed impression, I say mixed impression instead of misimpression, is that we're such horrible, horrible Rishayim. We must be the worst people on earth. And therefore Hashem constantly uses us as the, uh, as the kicking bag, so to speak. That's only a mixed impression. We're getting punished because of our virus. That's not because we're the worst people on earth. We're the best people on earth. Uh, because Hashem expects more whenever there's misbehavior, there's a severe punishment as opposed to the Umas Ailim, whenever they don't behave, so it's sort of expected. Rashi brings the Moshe with the bitter medicine, with the patient that was already, has already gone, they couldn't save Hashem, the doctor said, just give him whatever, whatever he wants to eat. It doesn't make a difference anymore. And when it comes to somebody you can still save, to so give him all a bitter, horrible medicine. So the, uh, the concept that we're supposed to be thinking about and walking away with is uh, sort of mixed emotions. Uh, yes, it came because we didn't live up to what we're supposed to do and we did horrible things. Another he says what he means, that means what he says. On the other hand, you can't walk away with the impression that we must be worse than everybody else and therefore we're getting this because that was the mistake that the Dara Midbar made. And they made that mistake and on that night when they made that mistake, that was Tishabov. And we've had many Tishabovs Ladaris because we didn't realize how great we are and how great we could be and what chiefs we can have and what we can accomplish. And they threw in the towel. And because of that, we're sitting here today. We're sitting here today with Avelus because they misunderstood that they were such horrible people that Hashem is suddenly going to punish them and keep on punishing them and we're not going to be zeichet to anything great. And that part's not true. And that's hard to see within the kinnis. But if you look just at the, uh, the dating as the kinnis go on, Every disaster, but we're still here 100 years later, we're still here 200 years later, we're still here 300 years later. And Clay is all there to be punished. That itself is an ace. And that's the uh, mixed emotions we have to have as we go through the kinnis, and we'll begin now. And it seems to be that he, if not totally eradicated, but made a serious dent in the obelisk near Barazar that was going on. At that time, there was a war, there was a war going on somewhere in the Middle East, but this war happened to have nothing to do with the Jews. And Mitzrayim asked Rishus to pass through to go north. And Yirmiyot understood in his understanding of the Pesukim that the Pasuk promises at a time when Klai Yisrael is no longer doing Avodah Zarah, which is during his reign because he cleaned it up, that they would be there not only to not be attacked by enemies, but they wouldn't have the discomfort of armies passing through. An army passes through in the olden times. It was not good for anybody. He used to steal and, and, and mug people and attack people, and it was uh, it was it was never it was never something that anybody walked away unscathed. And he wasn't interested. And he said, "Look, the pasuk says 'Lecherev la'yavar ba'itzuchem.' 
And I have a right to be zeichet to that promise. Yirmiyahu Anavi came to him and he told him that in theory you'd be right had you cleaned everything up, but not everything is cleaned up. There are people still hiding in the basement, behind the doors, doing Avodah Zarah, as not as clean as you think. And uh, this part is the, um, is the uh, debatable part exactly with the arguing on Matthias. Uh, the way the Major tells it over, Yirmiyahu was told by Yoshio Melech, he says, look, you're Rebbe, you're telling me not to rely on that, I don't understand why. Uh, talking about two very great people, but Lamaisa Yirmiyah was the Rebbe and Yeshia was supposed to be the Talmud. And whether he did understand or didn't understand, uh, you have to listen after, after you can debate the point, and after debating the point, you've got to listen. And he didn't listen, and he told the Mitzrayim they can't come. And Mitzrayim said uh, that you didn't understand, I'm only coming to pass through, and they sent another message back, you're not invited. And then Mitzrayim told them, well, I was on my way to fight somebody else, now I'm going to destroy you first, and then we're going to continue. They came to fight Clay, so now... Yeshua went out to battle, as this kind of vividly describes. Uh, they killed him in a pretty gruesome way, hundreds of arrows. He was alive enough to save Idui and to call Yirmiyo, came over, and his last breath was that he did tshuva, and he said, you're right, Rebbe, and I was wrong. It was too little, too late. And it's not only the personal tragedy of a tzaddik dying is enough to make a kinah, but that's not what this kinah is about. Uh, the fact that he died, a relative, relatively young man, uh, was basically the uh, last chance Kleisel had under his leadership to really turn things around. Had he stayed alive, he would have turned it around completely. There would have been nobody behind closed doors doing any of what But he needed another five years, ten years, fifteen years to do that. And now he's not going to have that opportunity. And from here on, Kleisel is going to continue to slide down because he's not there to bring them up. Uh, Yermia was still alive, and Yermia is going to make many, many courageous attempts to do so. Uh, the disadvantage of Yermia, like the fact that he was a godlo though, he's an aviador, he didn't have a police arm. And uh, the Melech, uh, the final Melech that he's going to plead with was Sitkiyoa Melech, who was a Tzadik Yisad but a very weak king. And he didn't press the agenda because his men, his cabinet, were made up of Rishon, and he was scared of them. So at that point, it doesn't become a discussion of Das Terah, can I, should I listen to my Rebbe, should I not listen to my Rebbe, Cherev Le'ar, Ba'etzachem, what does the Pasuk mean, does it apply over here? Now it becomes the question with the Nebuah, it's going to be crystal clear, and I'll read for it from it in a moment, of what Sitkiyo Amel should do right before the Korban, and Sitkiyo is just too weak to listen, even though deep down he knows 100% that the Navi's right. In this kinna, it focuses on the conversation between Yeshio and, um, and Yirmiya, and his admitting at the end that he rebelled against Hashem by not listening to his Rebbe. Let me just read a few of the Psukim that will take place later. Similar exchange again. The debate over here wasn't what does the Pusik mean? The debate over here is can I do something about it? In Yirmiya, when you read Echad, you, uh, you get a glimpse of what Yirmiya was up against. If you ever have the chance to read, uh, this is perfect, perfect learning for Tishabov. Uh, nobody can complain, they have uh, nothing to do. There's, um, there's uh, many, many prokim. I'm going to jump to Perik Lamed Ches. Uh, there's a lot here. This uh, small conversation, small glimpse of a conversation between Yirmiya and Tzitkiyo Amelech. Yirmi, as you know, was put in jail many times. Which uh, is hard for us to imagine. It's the Gadladar, the Noviadar, and they, the people down, down deep knew the Emis. The Rishayim in charge didn't want to listen, so they tried to silence him by killing him. Which has been done before. It was, uh, it was done when they killed the Navi in the, in the Mikdash Hashem, which we'll get to later on in the Kinnis. 
It was done to other Nevi'im, and unfortunately, it's not just a personal tragedy for Yirmiya that he can't uh, speak. It's the fact that they're not going to hear the message. They put him in jail once, twice, three times. The apostate vividly described as a bar. It wasn't Stama jail. It was, um, it was a pit where if you didn't get enough food, uh, you wouldn't survive very long. And the pit was so deep that they had to lower him by rope. And what's very bizarre is that the Melech is still king. Siskiyo is the Melech. And he knows about it. And he doesn't really get him out completely. At one point, uh, Yirmiyah's Talmud, Baruch, comes running to the king. That he, they put him in a deeper pit. Now they're really trying to kill him. He's going to die. And said, Kiyo told him, take 30 men and uh, get him out. Took 30 men, Rashi says, because they were so hungry from the famine, from the siege, that it took 30 people to lift up Yirmiyah Anodi. But that was only after he got a last-minute uh, reprieve. And his life was still in danger. The Melos didn't free him. He put him back to the Chatzar Matara, which was sort of like a jail. It was just above ground, but there was a gate around it. And Yermio fearlessly kept talking, even in jail, even though it keeps putting him in severe sakana. He keeps talking, and the people from Yushalayim would come and listen to what he has to say. And again, the Pasuk says that the officers came and arrested him and put him back in the bar. They came out. It was up and down, and... Um, Extremely dangerous for Yermio. During this whole process, Sitkio still calls him for private meetings in secret. He sends them all the night, Kilo. He calls him into his uh, private palace and he says, I want to hear the Dvar Hashem. And he keeps telling him the Dvar Hashem that the city is going to be destroyed unless you do something drastic. Sack your cabinet, just for one, and uh, put people in who are interested in turning things around. And toward the very end, Sitkio calls him in one more time. This is the eve of the Chorban. Picture with Yermio has been through already. No one, no one's listening yet. He's still willing to talk, you would think. And the Melech calls him and says, I want to hear it straight. I heard it straight plenty of times. He wants to hear it again. Why? Perhaps he felt if he would hear it in a way, he'd gather the courage to uh, fight his own people and turn things around. Don't hold anything back. This time, Yermio says, if I tell you the truth, you're going to kill me. You're throwing me back in jail and I'm going to, I'm going to get killed. If I give you advice, you're not going to listen to me anyway. So why should I bother? I'm not sure why Yirmiya said this at this point in time. It's not for lack of courage. He's willing to die for the cause. Maybe he's trying to egg him on. That if he tells him such a strong line, maybe he'll jar him into reality. He swears to Hashem that he's not going to kill him. I'm not going to hand you over to my officers who will try to kill you. Now, Yirmiya said two things. He said, if I tell you the truth, you're going to kill me, and if I give you advice, you're not going to listen to me anyway. Notice how he made a shvuah on the first part, that I'm not going to kill you. He didn't comment on the second part, because he wasn't sure he can do it, and therefore he's not going to make a shvuah. This is, to me, the saddest series of sukkim in the entire Yirmiya, because it's much more tragic when you're so close and he's telling him, and Sitkiyo was a tzaddik, it's not a person that wasn't willing to listen. And he couldn't bring himself to do it, as we'll see in a few psukim. 
What was the advice? What was the Navuah? If you surrender, what's ironic is the same thing happened to Bayashani. The Chachamim, the Yacham and and all the Tanaim said, surrender, we'll save at least the city. Maybe the Besamitish will be put out of commission, but it won't be totally destroyed. Give up now, we'll save something, we'll have a nucleus, we'll, 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 uh, we'll recoup in a quicker way. And the Bayanim, who weren't from, who were nationalists, who were a bunch of gangsters, really. Uh, they said, no, we have to fight to the bitter end, and anybody who wants to surrender is a traitor. That's why Abiyachim and Zaka had to be smuggled out in a coffin. And, uh, very eerie, the same exact thing is happening here in Bayez Rishon. The people in charge weren't that from, they were showing his cabinet, and they insisted on fighting, and Yimyo had been telling the people the whole time to defect to the enemy and survive, and he promised them, they'll let you live and they'll take you to bubble and you'll settle in bubble, you'll start a community. We need more from people starting the community. That's why the Kharish Lamaskir was sent years earlier. To be able to have a nucleus, to be able to come back. To get hidden killed for no reason, there's no kunt. So the reason why the officers attacked him in the first place is because he kept telling people to defect and they said he was hampering the war effort. Now he tells Sitkiel Melech himself, you should defect and go over to the enemy. If you do, you will survive. And the city won't be burnt down. I don't know if that means they won't enter the city, or it just means they won't destroy the city, there won't be a complete destruction. You and your family will live. If you don't surrender... The city will be burnt to the ground and you will not survive. At the end of the day, by the way, they will let him live, but they're going to blind him and capture him and kill his family. So basically, he's not going to survive intact. What is Sitkiyo's response? Interesting. What is he most afraid of? All the Yidin who defected already, when I defect and I go over, they're going to put me under them. I'm, now I'm their king, and they're going to ridicule me, and they're going to poke fun at me, and I can't handle that. And Yidin is alubi, which as great as Sitkiyo inherently was, covered as a great Zach. And he was afraid that, uh, he, he said, I can go, but uh, they're not going to treat me with the proper respect, and I'm not going to be able to his. His firm argument probably was, you want me to go as king and lead them in Bavol as well? I can't do that, but they're not going to respect me. So I'm either going to be able to do the job. I assume that's what he was thinking. Please, I beg you, listen. He begs them one more time, save yourself, save your family. Very similar to the conversation between Yeshio Melch and Yemiah. Yeshio didn't tell Yemiah that uh, Yemiah didn't tell Yeshio Melch that anybody's going to die. He said, "Just let them through. Everybody will be fine. You'll continue with King, and you'll continue building up the nation, and we'll avert the Chorban." Now, many years later, they're at the eleventh hour, and again, it's not clear from the Pesukim that he promised they're going to avert the entire Chorban, but he did tell them, "You'll survive, and the Klayisrael will survive in a much healthier way if you turn yourself in." And perhaps um, the enemy would have come into the city and they wouldn't have burned down the base of Mitish and they would have been, the Avedah would have been idle for a shorter time and then they uh, would have been allowed back in. We'll never know. Sitzia's final answer after this last uh, request. He tells him, I don't want anybody to know about this conversation and I won't kill you. 
And if you leave and they ask you what we spoke about, which they will, just tell them you were begging for your life to get out of jail and don't mention a word of this. And that was it. That was the last time Tiskio saw Yermio Anavi. Yermio Anavi was put back in jail, Machasa Matara. And the Pasuk, it's astounding, the Pasuk says he was there until the Kazim overran Yushalayim. When they came into Yushalayim and burst into the city, they're actually the ones that took Yermio out of jail. And we'll see later they have strict instructions to keep Yermio alive and to kill everybody else. No, because Nebuchadnezzar was smart and he knew that he was a man of God and he was afraid of him. That helped probably because they probably heard the people that came said the Navi told us to hand himself over. So that probably helped. But the real reason is, it's very fascinating. The Pasuk alludes over here and you look at Malachim Beis, it makes this allusion. Nebuchadnezzar wasn't even in town. He was in Antioch. He was, he was safely away in Syria. He sent Nebuchadnezzar to destroy the base of Metish. And the Mepharshim say the reason he did this is because he remembered what happened last time somebody laid siege in Yerushalayim. And he wasn't interested in starting up in the Kaj Baruch Hu, So he stayed at a safe distance. So as big a rush as he was, he knew what the Navi was, and the Navi is the one who said he's going to come and destroy it. The Navi was right on everything he said. And uh, Tzitkiyo, the tzaddik that he is, ends up going down in history as a tzaddik because when he's captured, they talk, uh, capture him. Famous medrash that he had this uh, Tzitkiyo tunnel, which you can go see today. And if you saw all part of it, uh, he ran out at the last minute and he ran and he ran. It was a very long tunnel. And Bedech uh, they never would have found it. Hashem caused a deer to appear on top. And they see a deer in wartime is always looking to live off the fat of the land. They tried to capture it and they couldn't. And then they gave chase. And the army of Nuchanetzer is chasing the deer on land as Sitkiyo was in the tunnel. And miles down, they finally catch the deer at the entrance to the tunnel as Sitkiyo comes out. And they capture Sitkiyo as well. And they took him and they, Ahmad al-Islam, shechted his children in front of him and they blinded him. And he was led to Bobol and... Uh, this part is, uh, is inspiring, but it was too little too late. As he walked above all, he spent the entire trip screaming out, he didn't look at me. The Navi told me, Befavish, you're going to bubble and, I, and you won't see it. And I didn't know what that meant. Next kina, um, which is Yudzayin and Tachana, Nashim Piria, Eilulay Tipuchim, one of the most graphic and horrific uh, kinas. Um, take a look first. If you have, uh, you have an echa with your kinas, is it part of the same booklet? Uh, take a look. This kin is taken directly from the pasuk. Take a look at Parag Bay's pasuk Chof. This parallels this one pasuk, Re Hashem, pasukos, Re Hashem, Labita, Lemi, Alalta, Koi, and Tachana Noshim Piriyim Alei Tipuchim. Tachana Noshim Piriyim means they're eating their children. Alei Tipuchim. We'll explain in a minute. In Yehari B'Mikdash Hashem Kohen V'Navi. So this kina starts in Tachana Noshim Piriyim Alei Tipuchim, and the last line of this kina, if you look at the end. So there's obviously a connection, the Pasuk and Echo and the Kinnah, 
between the murder of Zchaya Navi, who was killed with a Navi, killed in action, as I mentioned before, but killed in the Beis Amitish itself. He was telling them about the, you have to do tshuva and the pending Chorban. They killed him in the Beis Amitish. And we know from Chazal, his blood was left there, but the and was always boiling. And the Vizradan came and saw the blood, and he asked them what it was, and they were scared to tell him it's that just some blood from a Kabbalist, and he shefted some people to compare the blood, and he said, this is human blood, not uh, animal blood. And then they told him what happened, and, uh, and he said, uh, with this tremendous gaiva, I'm going to calm the blood down, I'll shef some more people, and you'll have a kapara. He didn't mean it for a kapara, he just meant it for ruthlessness, but shefted many, many, many people, the Gemara recounts, tens of thousands of people, and it kept bubbling. And at one point, he actually said to Akash Baruch Hu, I'm killing the cream of the crop of Klai Yisrael. How much more do you want me to do? Amazing. The, the pitch for Rachamim came from Nebuzrat and the butcher. And then it stopped. So Pella number one. I'm going to bring out two, two uh, very interesting ideas in the Bali Musa. This one is from Chatzko Levenstein. Mashkiach Mponovich. He says that the reason the blood was boiling is because it never kapara yet. And more people had to be killed and more people and more people than they were. You would think it comes a point in time they had a kapara. But that's not what the Gemara says. The Gemara says he kept on killing more people and then almost he was tired of murdering people and he turned to Hashem and he said, How I, you want me to kill out all of Yisrael? And then it stopped. So when did the kapara happen? When, when did the Einish kick in to the extent that they had a kapara that didn't need the Einish anymore? So Chatko says that the kapara over here was the hakara. So Kosh Baruch was in control and this was an Einish for the Averis. And Nivuzradam came to the hakara that it was Derech Neis if he wasn't convinced before. Because when he yelled out to Kosh Baruch I want, how many should I kill? It's Taka stopped. And then he saw it, May Hashem Yasadar, and he saw the Neis Nigla. And Klaiyasol was standing there and they saw it also. Abchaskel says that the beginning of the Tikkun has to be with the absolute hakara that the Avera was an Avera and we were wrong and that the punishments coming are a direct result of our Averas and it's not just historical happenstance and as soon as you have that Hakara so then Hashem starts putting in Midas Arachamim and then the killing can stop and that's what happened with Nivuz Radim. that was the end of the story the question is what is the tie-in between the women who were shakting and eating their children a number of accounts, some were killing them to eat them, some the children had died, they were eating them. That not make too much of a difference, and obviously the uh, killing is even worse. What does that have to do with the murder of Zechariah what's, Novi? What's the tie-in? The tie-in has to be strong, but the Pusik mentions them in the same breath, and the Kinnah starts and finishes with this. So, I'm going to quote to you uh, a medrash that describes this. And uh, Vitzula Petzelberger's uh, shots in the Medrash, brought down here in the Talayeris. Medrash Echa, Maisa B'dayeg Ben Yosef is the name of a, of a child. Shemais, actually Dayeg Ben Yosef was a father. Shemais Ben Yosef Ben Katan Lima, and his wife was still alive, and his, he had a small son that he left over. V'haisa mimadedes aisai b'tfachim. And the good times, this child was so precious to his mother that as he was growing up, she used to, every tefach he grew, she used to measure it and she used to give a donation of gold, apparently they were wealthy, to the Beis Amitush. This is obviously before the siege. 
giving you a background to the attachment of this mother and the child. Now this Alman and this Yosem. Then the siege started, and the famine started, and the starvation began. There came a point in time, it's hard for us to imagine this, because we don't know what starvation is, well, Mitzvah Shem will never know, we don't even know what it means to be hungry for a couple hours, barring Tisha B'Av and Yom Kippur, and even that's after quite a Sudhism of Sekis. So we can't understand that the people become mentally deranged, at a point in time where they just haven't had what to eat for uh, for weeks and weeks. The siege continued and she killed him, this son that she used to measure tefach by tefach. With her own hands. She ate him. Yemia was witness to all of this. The tragedy of... Uh, there were many Nevi'im who had a rough time. Nobody who had Yermia's uh, lot. And um, if you look at the very beginning, it was not terrible from a few weeks ago. Hashem promised Yermia he's not going to be killed. He still has to be a tremendous mindman because he came this close to death quite a few times, as we described before. And um, one could give up hope and say, well, Hashem promised me, but maybe I have Averis, maybe I'm Adzecha. Yaakov said the same thing. So it wasn't Pasha he would survive this and even if he survived physically, uh, to not get broken from this, here there's a Navi who knows the Amis, who's saying over the Amis, he's talking to Tzitzkiyo, who could do something about it, and Tzitzkiyo can't push himself to make the move because he's scared. He's talking to the people, the people are starving, and he tells them, just give up, and they don't give up. Nothing more aggravating than this. So he witnesses now the fulfillment of the Pasuk and Chumash by the Tzachacha, that this is going to happen. And these women are not some women. These are women who were measuring Tzavuchim, measuring Tefach by Tefach, their precious children. That was Yemiah's cry out to Shemayim. And Ruach HaKadosh Mashivtoi, the Major says, the Ruach HaKadosh answered Yemiah in Yehari B'mitesh Hashem Kayim V'Navi. Zez Zechariah Ben Yoyada. The Navi Zechariah who was killed. Akan is the Medrash. So what's the connection? So now we know we have a Pasek, a Medrash, and a Kina all making the same connection. Why is it Midah Kinek and Midah that the women are eating their children because uh, Kayan and Navi was killed in the Mikdash? What does one have to do with the other? This uh, Mahalach from Yitzhak uh, Petterberger, Yitzhak Blazer, he's a Talmud from Salsalante, he's a He explains as follows. When the Yisurim come upon a person, the purpose of the Yisurim is supposed to be a wake-up call, and it's supposed to be a kapara. The Yisurim themselves are a kapara. The more it goes close to the Yisurim, the picture of the Avera is this much, and the Yisurim lifts one brick at a time off, and then at the end, there's a clean slate. The worst-case scenario of Yisurim is when the Yisurim come, and because of the Yisurim, a bigger Avera is done, or another way is done, and you're not only back where you started from, but you're in negative territory. Here we have Yushalayim under siege. Nobody's coming in, no one's leaving, and there's no food, and they're slowly starving to death. That's the worst Yusurim possible. Starving to death, they had no water. And the good news is, if you can call it good news, is that if you live through this, the people living through this are having a kapara. 
for what they did. That's the purpose of the Einish. What happened? It came to a point that the famine was so severe, they resorted to murder, murder of their own children, to satiate themselves. It only lasted a couple of days, and then they went back where they were starting from. But they did it. So the tragedy upon tragedy over here was not only were they going through the worst imaginable pain, but instead of getting the kapara with that pain, they ended up, because of that pain, doing a bigger avera of murder, something not normal, murder of their own children, and the kapara that was supposed to be now is gone, and they now have another avera in their husband. That's how bad things were. They had bechiru, but that's, that's what might would happen. The connection, Rabbi Tzula says, in this and the murder of Zechariah in the Azara, the Beit HaMikdash, is that a Novi is sent to tell you that you're in trouble and you're going to have a Chorban if you don't do Tshuva. So Novi's being sent, Novi likes listening to Musa, and the Novi's saying it in a very, very strong way. The only worse scenario than not listening to a Novi you don't listen to him, so you're back where you started from. If you murder him in the base of Mikdash, so then it would have been better had the Navi not come. So Bissalah says the Medrash is connecting, the Pusik is connecting. The reason why it turned out that not only didn't you get a Kapara through the siege, through the famine, through the suffering, ended up being a bigger Avera of murder, is because when the Navi first came to speak to you, instead of listening, you didn't listen. Instead of just not listening, you murdered him. And once you did that, then Shemayim is already locked in the Midas Hadin that when you get the punishment in the Irish of the famine, it's not going to have the intended Kapara and it's going to cause bigger Averis. A Hafazik of shot. But that's the connection of the Pesach and unfortunately that's the connection of the Kinnah and Yemiyah is watching this. At this point there's nothing much you can do and that's why we have this uh, day of Hesped and Bechi. which is Isaiah Levonon describes the Sarug Malchus. We have this actually twice a year on Tishabov and of course on Yom Kippur. Uh, the common theme of the Sarug Malchus, besides the fact that uh, when Klaisa loses a Gadol Yisrael, it's always some sort of Kapara. That's not even the main theme. Uh, we much prefer our Gedolim stay with us. We can gain a lot more from them while they're alive. The fact that they're getting killed is part of the Einish. That's why it's in the Kinnis. And the theme that runs through all these cases is Lamaisa, they were all killed for doing what they felt was right against the Xera. Most of them, obviously, uh, entire, they weren't all exactly at the same time, but it's Kufa, the Romans, and the Shmad. And all of them basically were killed because by the Kiva, the most famous example, but there was a Gzeira not to learn, not to teach, not to hand over the Messiah, not to be Marbet Seirah, not to keep Halacha, and they ignored it. Uh, Rabbi Kiva was Ma'atev Ter Barabim, Chalina Ben Trajan, and Rabbi Kiva was asked, as we know, uh, by his good Chaverim, why are you doing this? It's dangerous. And he said, uh, we have no choice, it's Torah, and uh, we have to teach it, and we have to learn it. And the irony was he ended up in jail with that Chaver who was arrested for something um, tax-related. And uh, the Musser was obvious that uh, at such point in time where there's a Gzeira and your time is up, you're going to get it, whether it's for a mitzvah or for something frivolous. 
You might as well get it by doing mitzvahs. The contrast between these Asaruk and Malchus, who were mice and efforts literally to keep halachan, to be mabitz terah, despite the consequences, contrast with the Sanhedrin at the time of Tzitkiyo, this is a very, you know, this Misa has a number of uh, Makaris and Chazal, I'm going to read from Eicharabah. Uh, it, it needs Hezbollah historically what was going on. You've heard some of the Maisa, I'm sure. Again, the uh, center of the Maisa is Kyo Amelach, who we can't forget, Be'etzem is a tzaddik. Um, made a few very large mistakes. One is Lamaisa not listening to the Navi, as we just read. But it started beforehand. Tzitkiyot uh, was actually put into power by Nebuchadnezzar. Chanessa came, attacked Yushalayim, took away the king into Golis and appointed Sitkio as the next king. He appointed him with the understanding that he's going to be like a puppet king, but still he had his mice king, Kleisrael, wasn't destroyed, the Bethlehem was still standing. And it was an opportunity, perhaps, again, not total sovereignty, but a nucleus and where to um, continue. And the major says, Amr Rabbi Lazar, Al-Tahi Parshin Zadarim Kalabeinechot. Parshin Zadarim, Zadarim and Shavuot, one has to be very careful with. Shalidei Parshin Zadarim, Neagus, Ahedri Gedele, Shaltitkiyo. Lefishagola Yechonya, when Yechonya was taken into Golis, and the Golis Yechonya was a number of years before the Korban, that was Hashem's Minas Arachim, to prepare, take Yidin into Golis, and prepare the infrastructure of Golis, Something, by the way, they were zechut to by Golis Bavol because of their schusim. We in America were not zechut to this, which is why we lost two generations in America. The Yidin came here already in the 1800s, and then the great waves of immigration, the late 1800s, early 1900s, there was nothing here. There was no infrastructure, not in Kashris, not in Chinuch, there were no yeshivas. And people came, and 90% plus totally assimilated because... Uh, it's, uh, how can you raise children in a country without any community, without any infrastructure? There were no people here, but even the people that came, there was nothing here. There were no yeshivas. That didn't fix itself up until after World War II, by and large. How can Hashem let that happen? The answer is part of the Gezeir of the Holocaust uh, was that, uh, well, the good news is certain Gezeirim survived. They're the ones who rebuilt. But, uh, but the Gezeir... Before the Holocaust and after the Holocaust was that Yidin would not only physically be killed, but uh, in a far-off country called America, they will uh, be fine, healthy, and survive, but uh, there won't be any Yiddishkeit. And we weren't zeichet to have that built-in Yeshua before the Makkah. By Chorban, by Rishon, and Shani, they had that. They had it because Cherish Lamaskir were sent into Golis with Yechonia. Golis Yechonia brought some of the best and the brightest, and they settled in Bobo, and they built Yeshivas. And when the rest of Clyde all got there, there was a community already ready to go. Now, by Shani, there was certainly a community ready to go because many of them didn't even come back uh, by Binya by Shani. So there was, they left, and now we have the remainder in Israel. And Nebuchadnezzar appoints Sitkio, and he respected him. Pesach says, quoted by the Medrash, that Melech Edom, Melech Moev, Melech Ne'aman, Melech Sar, Melech Sidon, we're all put under the authority, under the jurisdiction of Sitkiyo Amelech. 
That's a pretty Choshev Asada. Sitkio was, was known. He was a Tzaddik and he was a very bright person and he was a trustworthy person. So Nebuchadnezzar put him in control of these other kings. And he left him as king and the only deal they had was you better behave. Not only did he respect Sitkio Amela, but he even gave him Rishus out of all the other kings to be able to come and go in the palace as he chooses. Normally you need an appointment and often they didn't let you in. He can come and go without even knocking. And he did. And um, one time he walked in and Nebuchadnezzar was eating, which isn't so strange. What was odd was that he walked in and Nebuchadnezzar was ripping a live rabbit limb by limb and eating it. Besides the Issa Dereza, Eben Menachai, which you think uh, people often ask me, Eben Menachai, why is that Messiah Mitzvah? Like, who would have a Havamina of doing such a crazy thing like that? The answer is, they were ruthless people, and I'm sure Nebuchadnezzar did this just to, just to keep his Midah of Achzariah going. You know, once in a while, if you don't, uh, you don't keep it going, you can already have some Midah Sarachamim. So, he used to take animals and rip them limb for limb and eat them. I might say it's a barbaric, crude thing to do, and Tzitkeo happened to walk in when he was doing this. And Nebuchadnezzar was embarrassed. And he turns to Sitio and he says, please do me a favor, don't ever tell anybody about this because even though I do this as part of my exercise, but uh, Lamaisa, it's not a kingly thing to do. It's supposed to have manners. And, you know, uh, and uh, he said, I want, I want you to make a shvur. You're not going to tell anybody. So Sitio made a shvur. He's not going to tell anybody. It's the part that's difficult to understand. You can explain it Ultimately, only by saying Hashem Yisadavra that there should be a korban, but I have to give some explanation historically what was Sitkiyo was thinking. A little while later, Sitkiyo was sitting with his vassal kings, if you'll call them, his group of five that he was king over, and uh, they were discussing. They were sitting there. The other kings were sitting there making fun of Nebuchadnezzar. Obviously, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't there, and they were getting out all their uh, all their titles, and he's such a uh, an idiot, and he's such a chakra, and he's such a this, he's such a that. And they turned to Sitkiel and they said, you know, your highness, he says, eh, we'd be happy if you were king over the whole world. He shouldn't be in power. And he didn't know, but a trap was being laid. I don't know if they started off half serious or not. It's hard to know, but they certainly didn't love Sitkiel, so I wouldn't be surprised. They're probably trying to egg him on. And Sitkiel at first said, no, no, Nebuchadnezzar is king. We have to be loyal. And they kept on the conversation. And now, what happens next is, is bizarre for somebody as great as Sitkiel. Uh, as they kept saying how great Sitio would be and how horrible and what a, what a late Nebuchadnezzar is, he shouldn't be king. Sitio chimed in and he says, You should know, happens to be you're not so wrong. I one time walked into the palace and he's not fit for royalty. He was eating without a fork and a knife, ripping a uh, rabbit to shreds. It was, uh, it was horrific. Uh, a man like that's a barbarian, he shouldn't be king. Of course, he mentioned that just between them. And of course, like a minute later, they adjourned the meeting and they went and told Nebuchadnezzar that Sitkiyo was speaking ill about him. Now, why would he, uh, why would he violate the Shua? So, um, Chazal gives us a background. It almost reads like a Medjish plea, but it appears in a number of places that Sitkiyo was actually extremely bothered by the fact that he made the Shua because even before this meeting he wanted to tell the people who they were dealing with and hopefully get a rebellion going to dethrone him. And they were very into, it's hard for us Americans to understand, who cares if he eats a rabbit, doesn't eat a rabbit. In the time when kings and queens used to be real kings and queens, there was certain chashivas amalchus. And the way they had allegiance from the people, people looked up to them. They looked up to them because they were ruthless and because they were warriors, and also because they had class. Ripping a rabbit to shreds is not classy. Which is why Nebuchadnezzar asked him this way, he wouldn't tell anybody. 
And this had been percolating in, in Sitkiel's mind for a while already. And it really bothered him, and he figured this might be a way to throw off the yoke and then get back their true sovereignty for Klai So he meant this, L'shem Shemayim, no doubt. And, and then they can get rid of Magamre, and then the Yid will live happily ever after. So this meeting was the straw that broke the camel's back. He had already previously went to the Sanhedrin and asked them to be, to be shoyal on the Shvua, which they did, which we'll see in a minute was a huge mistake. And his time, you can't just be shawl and under the shul. There has to be a Pesach. And the Pesach was that I made the shul under the rest and I really would like ultimately when the proper opportunity comes to share with the other monarchs who we're dealing with so we can all get up and rebel and get rid of this nuisance. So he meant completely the shame Shemayim and they talk about Matzah the Shavuah, which is why he was able to tell them over here. Unfortunately, they go straight to the Bukhanetza and the Bukhanetza is furious. He called them, he calls the Sanhedrin to Antioch, where he is, and he has them all seated in fancy chairs, this is an Hedrin, and he says, I'd like to learn a little Chumash with you. You remember this Maisa when uh, the Emperor of Rome filled up the palace with shoes, and he brought them, yes, sorry, that's the time over here, uh, that uh, there they weren't paying for their mistake, they were paying for the mistake of the ship they caught for selling Yesus. Here, this is directly their mistake. He calls them in, and he gets to the parish of Durham, it says, Ish ki neder, and he said, if you make an Edir Shvua, is there any way to be mavadalit? So they said yes. If he comes and there's Pesach and Sarota. So Nebuchadnezzar says, okay, I hear that. Um, there's nothing wrong with a halachic uh, way to get out of something if it's necessary once in a while. He said, let me ask you a question, just a detail on that din. If somebody makes a shua for somebody else in somebody else's favor, like they're not going to say something about them or something like that, can you be mad to the shua when the other person isn't there? The din is you can't. And he wasn't there. And after that, he uh, took them all and he tortured them to death. And what were they thinking? There's a poor, but someone that's a over here. So they were thinking, number one, mistake number one is that Sitkeo had a real good reason to be a vatalit so he can get the other people to rebel. Which Sitkeo did the Shem Shemayim, but was still wrong because it's not the time to rebel. you got to know when to rebel, when not. Um, just ironic that uh, when it came time, Yemiel begged him to turn himself over and to stop it. That he, that, that he wasn't brave enough to do, but this he was. This is an earlier time. And the take number two was I can imagine they were thinking that, yes, the din is that if two Yidden uh, have this conversation and uh, I tell you something in confidence, I make you make a shvua, you can't be a shvua without my okay. But they probably figured the Buchanetzer is a Russian, Rusha, and he's, uh, he's the guy we're talking about. He says, we're not going to get his okay, and he deserves it because he deserves to throw him off the throne, and therefore they mounted it, which is a great lumber, but it's wrong. And. What happened over here is that they were now, the Medrash has a very graphic description, they uh, tied them to the tail of horses and dragged them to the town. And the Medrash makes a very interesting remiss to something which is not apparent what it means. Chagru Tzakim, as soon as they heard the Psak, they put on sackcloth, they realized they did wrong and they started doing tshuva. This is Silva Sanhedrin. And they knew they were about to die, so they were doing tshuva. And they, they remembered the schut of Yaakov Inu that says, Yosem Sakva Mosnov. That's interesting. What in the world is um, them putting on sackcloth? Yaakovinu is sitting on Avelis all the years for Yosef and Sadiq. What does one have to do with the other? So he quotes here from the Basel Levi. Fascinating insight. Yaakovinu sat Shiva for 22 years. Why was he so upset? What kind of shadow? Why was he so upset? His son was missing. He didn't know whether he wasn't alive, whether he was a slave somewhere, whether he's tortured. That's upsetting enough. But for Yaakovinu, Lamaisa, 
22 years of Avelis, this Sheva Shloshim Yudbe Sedish, is a time when a, a person is not allowed to be misavel on, on an Ifter more than, more than what's allowed. Yaakovina would certainly have more bitachon than we do, so why do we get it and he didn't? Why did he sit for 22 years? So, the Beit Halevi says that Yaakovina was faced with a quandary that, that was much bigger than the fact that he lost the son, Le'olein Rachman Laslan. That itself would have been horrific, but that would have ended. Sheva Shleshem Yerbeis But it didn't stop. One year, two years, three years, four years. It went on for decades. What Yaakovina was worried about was, Adam Asari, you needed 12 shorten. And without 12 shorten, you're not going to have clay, so it's going to be an imbalance. And every shave that has its contribution. And what pained him the most and what he couldn't recover from is the fact that his job in this earth was to create 12 shvatan, to create the shifteka, and to get Klayisrael going, and he only had 11. So basically, he says, okay, that's a problem. Yaakov Inu had four wives. So take another one, find another tzadikus, and have another child. Why did Yaakov Inu do that? A good kasha. If that was the real problem, the problem was not after the year of Avelis, the problem was not the son per se anymore, although that, I'm sure, left him very empty, but that wasn't why he sat shiva for 20 years. He sat shiva because Kaiso didn't have 12 shvatim. So make a 12 shavit. The answer the Basil Levy says is that he couldn't because he promised Lovan, he made a shvua to Lovan. Lovan asked him in his last conversation with him that you better not take any other women on my daughters. And he promised him he wouldn't. Yaakovina struggled with a very, very painful decision. And you give sure over 22 years, he went back and forth and back and forth. The one in Abishwur to Lovan who didn't deserve any respect and I should really go be shown the shvu of his love and the nice for in Russia. And if I do that, I'll be able to build Klayasol and get the 12 shavit in here. Or at the end of the day, a shvu is a shvu and a chil Hashem is a chil Hashem and I made a shvu. And even if Klayasol won't have 12 shvatim, I can't do anything about it. And we all know what his decision was. He didn't take another wife. So the Medrash over here, according to the Dexal Levy, is now fits in very well. The Medrash says that this Sanhedrin sat down, they put on sackcloth, they remember the sackcloth of the Avelus of Yaakovina. What does what one do to the other? The answer is Yaakovina struggled with the same exact problem. He had a shua and he had good reason to break it, and he had good reason to be shayl on it, but he didn't because he knew Lovin wasn't there and he knew Lovin wouldn't, wouldn't agree. So he didn't do it, even at the expense of Chayisol. And here they have the same Shaila. Sifkiyah had a good Taino, we could build up Chayisol, get rid of Nebuchadnezzar, and we'll be free, and Chayisol will shake, it'll be Gavaldik. Don't make Cheshvenish for Akash Baruch Hu. The end of the day, I'm not saying we would have done better, but at the end of the day, if you have a Shur and there's a potential for Chil Hashem, you could be doing a hundred favors for Akash Baruch Hu. It's not worth it. And the contrast to Asari Ruge Malchus is that they could have made many rationalizations why, you know, the Romans are here, Instead of getting killed, if we get killed, we're not going to have any leaders. So right now, we'll, maybe we'll stop Shear. We'll bring Terror underground a little bit. And uh, when the heat's off, we'll, we'll figure it out. We would make such chashbenes. Get everybody killed. Rabbi Kiva gets killed. If everybody gets killed, there'll be no leadership. They didn't make that chashben. Right now, with us, with us, if we get killed over it, we get killed over it. Nothing we can do. And despite the fact we lost these ten gadolim, the reason Klai is still here is because they understood from them what Messias Nefesh is. And even so, quote unquote, Pusher to Yid, there's no things that Pusher to Yid, understood that there's a Chiv Yahar Vayavar, and if we're being asked to do something that's against Allah, that you can't do it no matter what, what's going to be with Klai Yisrael? Not our problem. Famous Medrash that the time of the Chorban, when they saw they couldn't defend the, the Temple Mount anymore, and the Beit Hamitash area in the Azar, they took the keys and they threw them up. And the keys never came down. That's a very important measure.
Because what that means is there comes a point where you just can't do anything. Now the question is, should you cut corners in Yiddishkeit to be able to save Kalei Yisrael? The answer is no. Hashem's in charge of saving Kalei Yisrael. We're in charge of doing the right thing. And that's what we learn from the Asari Rugi Malchus. In Kinachavav, uh, there's a very clear description on Yemiel's attempt, you know, from the Pusik, his attempts with the people to change them and to move them and to move to Kyo. Here we see his attempts, Klape Shemayim, to try to elicit Tzchus and to try to be Ma'ura the Rachamim. And the first paragraph, if you look, Ad Bahalach Yemiel, Akivri Avis, he runs to Chevron. How can you be asleep? How can you be quiet at a time like this? At the time of the Chorban, this tells us this first line that he went to the others. I'm not saying he didn't go before, but it sounds like he went to them after the Chorban begging for Rachamim. Then now that they're going to Golas and even, even more Rachamim. Going at the Gullahs, you know, we travel from place to place. We, uh, you know, no big deal. Going at the Gullahs itself, just the death mark there, half the people probably died. And uh, to get to a far-off land and to um, be tortured and beaten on the way, Yermio understood that maybe it didn't prevent the Chorban, but we need Chosovus to at least uh, come into play to protect Klayasar at this point. It's a very, very... Fascinating Medrash, also Medrash Eicha. We mentioned before that the Nebuchadnezzar gave very clear instructions that the Buzradan considered uh, Rabbi Tabachim, the chief butcher, was told to be very, very careful with the Yermio Anavi. I'll read to you the Medrash. There are three things Nebuchadnezzar told Nebuchadnezzar our Yermio, concerning Yermio. Take him and watch him. And the Medjur says the Diak is I don't care what happens to the rest of the Jews, just make sure he's safe. And this is a quote from the Pesach, don't do anything to him. Him, you shouldn't do anything evil. You can do whatever you want. And Itaka protected him, made sure no harm would befall him, but he butchered everybody else. Medrash continues, He saw a group of young men in chains, Kalarim is as it suggests, collar, like collar chains. Benaisen as Roshay Imam, and he would go and put his head within the chains to be with them in their Sarah. It was Radan saw that, he got very nervous because he's under very strict orders, he shouldn't get hurt. And he quickly came and pulled him out. And then Yermio and Avi saw elderly people being let off also in chains and he again tried to stick his neck in and came again and pulled him out he was getting very exasperated and said 
I can't figure you out. There's one of three things going on over here. We'll explain each one in a moment. Or you like pain. Or you're a murderer. What did he mean? He said, you've been saying all along the city's going to be destroyed. So now it's destroyed. So why are you so in pieces? Could be you're a Navi Shekhar. You didn't believe your own Nebuah. You're so upset. He says, why don't you believe your own Nebuah? What happened? We're here. Maybe you love pain. I don't want to harm you and I'm under orders not to harm you but I'll tell maybe you keep putting your neck in the chain it's like you don't care about the pain or you're a murderer Nebuchadnezzar warned me no harm should befall you and you're torturing yourself I'm going to get killed so the Vudradan couldn't understand. He said, what's trapping you? He says, Rabbi, you know, I have, with all due respect, I'm told not to harm you. He says, either, either you're, uh, you want to inflict uh, pain upon yourself or you're trying to get me killed or you're Samashakra. What's going on over here? Strange thing. The measure doesn't quote the answer. Because the answer, I think, only a Yid can understand. And he didn't think the Vudradan would understand. The fact that you gave Nebuah for years and years is going to be a Chorban. The fact that Chorban came doesn't make you any less upset. And perhaps in a Gaish Ashkafa you should feel smug. Ah, I told you so. That's not the Yiddish response. Not somebody who cares about Klai Yisrael. Not a leader of Klai Yisrael. The Vizrata didn't understand that. He said, you say, say about the Chorban, you were right. So put one check in your column and tell me what the socks are doing tomorrow. He didn't, uh, you know, shows you good at your job. What's the problem? Trying to get me killed, Islam was ridiculous. He wasn't trying to get him killed. He was acting on his nature, his wonderful midus of Imo Anachi B'Tzerah. And the Vizrata wouldn't understand this. At the end, the Saifa Amalai Amtayv Anacha Bav Asim Anacha He says, I'm really here to watch you. Please be careful. And he didn't listen. And he started parading through Eretz Yisrael to the border with Klai Yisrael and he wanted to go with them. Klai Yisrael was going to go. How can I stay here? So he kept telling him, you're exempt. You don't have to go to Gauls. Go, go home. Go home. Relax. And he wasn't going to do that. Until Hashem gave Yemiyo and Ovi another Nevuah. What was the Deber? Amar Kashbarach of Yirmiyah. It's a very Talmudic. Hashem came to Yirmiyah and He told him, Yirmiyah, imatan nisharkan, if you're willing to go home and you stay here, I need lechimahim. I'm going to go with them to Golis. Imatah lechimahim, I need nisharkan. One of us has to be here and one of us has to be there. Klai Yisrael needs protection. The Yidden saying in Eretz Yisrael, under the leadership of Gadali ben Achitim, won't last that long. But the Yidden staying here and they need help. And Hashem said, I understand, you want to go with them and to go and suffer along with them. Either you stay here and I go with them, or I stay here and you go with them. We can't both go with them. What was Yemiel's response? 
I really can't do much and the bulk of the people are going to go. It's a small amount, small percentage state in Israel. I really can't help that much and they have a much bigger task. The ones leaving were under the gun a lot more. They were the ones in front of them had a lot of suffering coming and readjusting the ones that are staying in Israel. They stay in their houses. So Yemio says, Baruch, you do a lot more for them than I can. Their creator and their king should go with them. Should be Harbe that Hashem should go into Golis. And he pulled him out and he finally went home. And the lesson over there in this Pasuk is Rabba Tavachim pulled him out. So the measure Dash Yirmiyah means Yirmiyah and Akash Baruchu. Kaviachal Hu Vahu Asr. Both Akash Baruchu. Kaviachal and Yirmiyah were in chains. They both felt the Tsar of Klai Yisrael. And Hashem Paskin, Ani Besachagayla. I'm going to go with Klai Yisrael into the Golis where Hashem has remained. One of the main themes of Tishabov is crying about Golis Hashkina, not just our own Golis, our own discomfort. Matter of fact, in Wesley Hills, it's probably easier just to focus on the Golis Hashkina because uh, it's pretty comfortable here. So we kind of don't get what are we focusing on and what we're missing. The answer is, in uh, Gashmi, Baruch Hashem, Ken Yebu, we're not missing anything, uh, almost to a fault. It's the Golis Hashkina, and because of that, lack of the Besamitish, lack of the Aveda, lack of our Ruchniyas and our Madrega, because of that. And here the Major says, of course, Baruch who decided he's going into Golis to Klai Yisrael. Yemiah, you stay here with the people. And the Major portrays what a Jewish leader is supposed to look like and what uh, Yidin is supposed to look like. The fact that I told you so and the fact that it's coming and the fact that there's not much we could do doesn't mean we can't be Yemiah and And half the Nechama is the fact that we're in it together. And Yemiah wanted to show Klai Yisrael that and he was very capable of displaying that.